pandemic got us into a reflective space and made us look inward to see what we can do for the world at large. As a self-expression coach, I became a catalyst for women and started Vani, a one-on-one -on -one coaching program for women on finding their voice, to speak up, to be visible. As a storyteller, I spotted there were many ordinary people amongst us leading extraordinary lives, making a difference to the world, and they needed to be heard. Thus was born You and I with Rashmi Shetty, where amazing personal journeys with their uniqueness and individuality are showcased. A reaffirmation of the fact, open your eyes wider, the world is far more beautiful when we acknowledge the presence of both you and I. Our guest today is Dr. Nandini Munkur, one of India's renowned developmental pediatricians who has done pioneering work in the field of early detection and intervention services for developmental disorders in the last four decades. She practiced as a general pediatrician during her early career while pursuing with a keen interest in the field of developmental studies and is also a fellow of the American Academy of Cerebral Palsy and Developmental Medicine, FAACP and DM. She spearheaded the awareness building and creation of early intervention tools in the field of developmental pediatrics in India. She founded the Center for Child Development and Disabilities in 2006. The center has been treating children with a wide range of developmental problems in areas of physical, mental, language, and learning abilities from birth to adolescence. The center also runs a school that practices early intervention services for children. She has designed and released multiple initiatives to support her work and house these teams. As a director for the Sakamvit Trust, she has undertaken a program, Learn Math with Fun, by a satellite for children across rural Karnataka. Dr. Nandini Munkur co-founded Tooth's Guide, a comprehensive online self-educated portal aimed to cater to the vision of helping every child with disabilities to attain a better future. She has focused her career on ensuring children with developmental disabilities have access to the best possible support and care. Listen in as she shares her journey from a little girl to the inspirational developmental pediatrician that she is today. Dr. Nandini Munkur, such an honor having you on UNI with Rashmi Shetty. Thank you, Rashmi, for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Ages since we caught up and knowing the work that you do, I am always inspired every time we speak. So now, before we get to Dr. Nandini Munkur, we want to explore a little bit of the little Nandini because you are so sprightly, full of life, always energetic. Were you like that as a little girl as well? What was your childhood like? Rashmi, I was born in a service family. My father was in the Indian Air Force and he was an officer in the Indian Air Force. So 
three siblings we were. I lost my brother. So we have got two sisters and we always uh, traveled a lot because from big places, posting to small little places, God forsaken. So we, I remember going to schools with some laborers, kids, because there was no other school in a God forsaken place somewhere in Madhya Pradesh called Amla. So it's been a wonderful childhood I've had because there's been so much of exposure traveling around this country. And uh, we grew up, you know, in, for example, in a very cosmopolitan uh, kind of atmosphere and being in the services, it was full of plays and, you know, play games, go out and, you know, go to the mess and go learn ballroom dancing. We did everything possible as a kid. And I also went to the, I mean, uh, I grew up in Delhi mainly because my father had a very prolonged posting in Delhi. And uh, I remember most of my childhood from there. And uh, until I went to med school, then I went off to the hostel. So my rest of my life was spent in the hostel till I got married and settled. So it's been, uh, I went to the Air Force Central School and Bal Bharti School, which was the Air Force School. And I think it was a great fun, lots of sports to play. And uh, I was not, I'm not a very sporty person though, but loved playing and, and was very fond of reading. We were very avid readers and probably that came from my father. I mean, I remember my childhood of uh, remember living in a small little, uh, you know, the, the hostel, it was called the Princess Park Hostel where my father had small, and we used to walk uh, to the Central Vista mess then, which is no longer exists because you've got huge little thing, all that is gone in Delhi now. And I'm talking in 50s. Huh? And just to go to the library to borrow a book every week. And I think that uh, habit of reading was really, really, uh, I mean, I don't know, which I still read. So that's the only, so we grew up playing and, you know, a wonderful childhood playing tambola. I think we did everything. There was nothing like we didn't do, you know, that was the best part. And uh, not, not so bad in academics. Okay, we did quite well and uh, was able to, take an entrance exam and go into a med school on a merit seat was uh, quite uh, enjoyable. Yeah. And uh, I went to Molana Azad Medical College. As I said, my childhood has been in North. And uh, so I, I love learning languages. So I learned how to speak Urdu, Punjabi, though I'm a Tamilian by birth and Hindi quite well. I did Hindi literature. So it's been a wonderful journey of, uh, you know, of, fun and learning with no tension anywhere so that's how my childhood has been you know for uh, it's uh, and my siblings were equally bright and all of us really had a great time growing up so what else can I tell you about my childhood <laughs> yeah, uh, medicine was because you were inspired by someone or it was just that every good student would do medicine or engineering and that's how I you know right from I was young I said I want to be a doctor I don't know who inspired I don't think I was inspired by somebody uh, maybe, I don't know but uh, maybe re reading AJ Cronin much later but not at that time and we used to uh, uh, much later I read those lovely books I think I got inspired like uh, I forget the author was it who wrote doctor in the house and doctor at sea and they were very Richard Gordon is it I don't yeah. remember the authors very well but but that was much later. But I just wanted to do medicine, you know, for reasons unknown. I thought uh, I wanted to be a doctor. 
Probably okay. because there were no doctors in the family at that time in my house, you know, from my cousins and as far as I could think of. So I was one of the first qualified doctor. <laughs> if uh, so that was the inspiration, I I just wanted to be one. And luckily, I got to do what I wanted to do. You know? Yeah. And moving into pediatrics as a branch was, again, uh, out of interest. Anything, any inspiration while you were studying medicine or UG? How did you think of pediatrics? You know, pediatrics happened that when I was doing, you know, I like actually got inspired by my so-called registrars who are three years senior. To me. See, when we when we got into pediatrics, it was uh, just a special. Most of our professors were not qualified pediatricians. They all were MRCPs and all came from England. There were adult medicine who did uh, pediatrics. And it was like, a, it and doing pediatrics was, I did it out of choice because I did have an MD medicine seat also, you know. But uh, it was my, see, when I was doing a, how, you know, we do something called house surgeonship, you know. I did pediatrics and medicine. Those days we could do what, if you had the marks, you did what you want. There's nothing like. So when I was doing pediatrics, my the, the batch, which was like three years senior to me, which was a, great registrar they said listen we need to improve this branch you know let's don't go to there are millions of people doing medicine everybody does you know so in fact i really got sucked into doing medicine because of my seniors and uh you know it was uh and uh, they said it's oh it's very challenging see children can't speak and they can't they'll cry we have to decipher it and it'd be great fun to understand uh, infant toddlers but it'll be tough also and so it was that to, frankly, that is the reason why I joined uh, pediatrics, you know, for, uh, and, and I think uh, it was a great decision. Yeah, because I have met a lot of pediatricians and for my children, when I met you, I found you absolutely friendly with kids and very easy on the children, whether it was giving a vaccination shot or any kind of injection. You, yeah, you really were very friendly with the kids and with it. So it seemed like you were, your calling was just pediatrics. Yeah, I think it was great fun. I think, the, you know, one thing much later after doing developmental pediatrics, I realized the innocence they bring with them. Giving, getting, and befriending them is so easy. Just say, okay, before you count three, I'll finish my, I, that was my standard thing. I'll finish, whoever finishes, if I don't finish my injection by three, then okay, I won't give it. It only takes a few seconds. By the time they think, they say one, oh my God, I didn't even give it. You know, we used to have all the games with them and, you know, they're so easy to please, you know, so easy to be with, you know, and, they bring you such joy when they come and uh, and I in fact I remember my, when I used to do general pediatrics which was for a few years before I switched on to developmental pediatrics kids would bring me chocolates flowers the older one will come with the younger one I still remember some of the mothers will ring me up and say listen today I'm not coming I'm sending you the I say yeah yeah send no problem you know, so that we, I really enjoyed more than anything I think you should enjoy what you do I enjoy doing uh, uh, pediatrics with those kids and uh, it was great fun you know with them to they would come and it's okay and reading with them was fun and uh, much later I was asked a teenager what was what are you you know we didn't have unfortunately in my era there was no internet and there were no you know google and you know television came much later you know when 
uh, it came later in 80s but th that we never had programs we just saw a few cricket matches and a few other things you know and then uh, i'm always, i'm also a great cricket fan so we used to have watch a lot of cricket you know so it's been as i said uh, good and I'm, I'm very fond of playing cards so now i've switched on from rummy to bridge a little more better than playing that it's not really a lot of bridge so it's been a good fun i've enjoyed yeah. every aspects of fun in life yes because you come across as somebody who's extremely positive uh, while talking to you there's so much of uh, positivity that you exude which automatically goes to the person who is sitting opposite to you so from general pediatrics what drew you into development uh, developmental pediatrics because you are now completely into child development with yes. special needs children how did all that actually branch out from general pediatrics me to be honest you know i you see when i started doing pediatrics i was married and i had two children by the time the older uh, i was married very young i was an intern when i got married and by the time one year i had my first daughter so not very old and one thing i wanted to be sure was i didn't want to do too much of emergency medicine i wanted to be with my children and sort of you know then i still did go for you know cesareans and stuff like that because i had to do it and uh, but i somehow thought that i should do a speciality which doesn't involve too much of my time not only children maybe because of the other interests also i wanted to uh, could not be a practitioner who sat till 10 or 11 in the clinic and wanted to make money that was never my uh, intention and second thing was that being i had a roaring practice as you know cash pharmacy was my landmark clinic in bangalore and you know it was i was doing very well in my practice i had no somehow you know the children the parents who used to come with these children with maybe those day with down syndromes or severe whatever reason the children they were so unhappy they were you know the distress but i felt somewhere when they you know these children would come i had no clue what to tell the parents they say how do can my child go to a no school and learn when i said the question was i didn't know this very little emphasis in our training was given how to look after these kids you know probably uh, there was uh, so much of uh, those days of my practice used to be a lot of rheumatic heart disease tetanus no kids used to be dying of infectious diseases left right and center lot of malnutrition so you know all the energy i think in training went in this nobody even thought about that they would uh, they were thought they were far and few or what could be and there was a lot of such a lot of social stigma in our country against the you know the children would they would never bring them out or they were houseborn parents became so isolated because the society wouldn't interact there was some curse on them when they had the children we had all sorts of beliefs and a whole lot of uh, customs and i think i you know i somehow felt a great empathy for these parents i said how is it possible that a human being cannot learn everybody can learn something so can these children also learn i had no clue 
what I'm going to do. But I just thought somewhere along, there should be something to be done in this field or speciality. At that time, 35 years ago, nobody even knew how to spell developmental pediatrics. It never just existed in our country at all, you know. And uh, and uh, I thought I'm going to, my only source, you know, on, you know, we used to have to dial black phones, which you have to go to wait the operator to connect you somewhere. You had no, nothing, no study material. The only source I wanted to improve my information on this was the British Council Library in Bangalore at that time was situated in St. Mark's Road, you know, which is uh, just near Koshi, just above Koshi's restaurant. I don't know, you're a Bangalorean, it's, it's a very big landmark, Koshi is in St. Yeah. Mark's Road. And the British Council Library was there and it's it's hardly stone throw from cash pharmacy where I used to practice. And I used to practice only in the morning hours and when my children were at school, I would finish by lunchtime and then spend an hour in the library to read. I then started reading. I started reading child psychiatry. I started reading child psychology and got more and more intrigued that something, the mind of a person, whoever it is, is very difficult to decipher and it is very fascinating. And uh, I was too, by the time I was very well settled and uh, didn't want to think of doing, there was no child psychiatry those days. But the Nimhans also started child psychiatry later, later. So I said, I started reading and I said, this sounds very fascinating. And uh, I said, but how do I get into this field? How do I practice? How do I... So I started making my own uh, way of uh, trying to counsel these parents that no matter what, we should see how these children can improve, you know, in their own ways, maybe give them little tasks to do. And that could be everyone wants to have a sense of achievement and give little things to our children. Don't um, So some parents would come and accept it and do it. At the same time, I also was running at that time, uh, uh, the day I started to practice, I also started, I feel, to give back to the society, I used to run a free clinic for the Family Planning Association of India. There was an organization and it had a center near Palace Buthali. I mean, just quite close to where I stay in Malaysia. And I used to say that I will run an under five clinic once a week there just to counsel the parents about nutrition well-being and stuff like that and you know and that used to be a, a free I said something which simultaneously I thought we should I should do this in my life so I used to run the family planning and there I came across you know there was an opportunity for me even to talk to the underprivileged group of mothers to say that uh, you can do something and Many times I've came across, you know, teenage severely retarded girls, you know, would come pregnant. They had no brain, but they would be molest. I mean, you know, the sexual abuse, and they. And I used to really wonder, my God, how was she going to rear this child? You know, when she herself doesn't know how to look after herself, and those mothers would plead, do something, let her not have this. But you know. The laws were not so bad, but if they were advanced, I was not doing the termination and they, it was a family planning. So they would be other colleagues of mine who were the gynecologists. I said, can you not terminate this pregnancy for this girl who's suffering? They said, listen, it's legal, it's okay, but illegally we wouldn't do one. So many of them had these, it was, it, it was heartbreaking for me.
I said, this is going to be something which I want to do and find out more and more about it. And I started working, but no guidance from the country because, and when I spoke to my professors in Delhi and they said, are you mad? You, you're doing so well. Why do you want to venture into field? And uh, I said, I don't know. I want to. So I said, how do I go about it? So, you know how things fall into place. And I had to make a, a small living also. I was also married to an Air Force officer who was traveling. And I was, uh, he. I came to Bangalore because of him. He belongs to Bangalore. And from north, I shifted here. Otherwise, I would have been, even, even the government service probably doing a, general, you know, DGHS or some job like that. But he said, no, no, I want to go back and settle. I said, okay, let me try. So I came in Bangalore and that's how I settled in Bangalore. And then I said, how do we go about it? In uh, At that time, you wouldn't believe that. The inspiring for me was to get this concept of social entrepreneurs from Ashoka Innovators of Public. Very at that time, there was Jen, uh, William Drayton was a wonderful person who started something called the Ashoka Fellowship for Innovators of Public, and it was like a social entrepreneur. You know, you're not a making. I said, I just applied for it. Somebody told me that you might get a small honorarium and you can pursue what you want, and a part of the day you can keep aside, and and somehow I got selected for being the. Ashoka, I was one of the earliest uh, fellows, you know, maybe the second or the third batch, I don't really remember, of being the innovator. It was, a, I, the, the concept itself was so revealing and so beautiful to me. I said, I'm going to do this. And having got that small uh, fellowship, which gave me the freedom to pursue what I wanted to. So I spent half my day, I just used to work for half a day in my pediatrics and uh, slowly and started uh, understanding this. And uh, now the concept which I told the Ashoka, which was the, what was, I said, everything has to be done very early in life. If you want to make a change in these children, we have to catch them early. That Today, it's the first thousand days are considered the most I mean, wonderful years where every learning happens, 90% of your brain grows. I didn't know all those at that time. But somehow felt by looking at and understanding that I should do this. So how to go about it? So the wonderful thing about this Ashoka Fellowship or the, you know, they have so much of faith in their fellows. You know, there is nothing like you have to submit a report of what you have done and accountability. I said that trust, when somebody trusts you so much, I said, my God, I have to do much more than what I committed for them to do. And uh, so it's that the time I wrote my first book. It was called The Baby's First Year of Life. And it was published by the Tiki case. It's just a 30, 40 page book, which was even translated into Tamil and uh, also in Marathi. Believe me, this book gave me enough royalty to do go to the US to the to pursue what I wanted to do to me. And lucky enough, when I from Molana's had those days, seventy percent of my classmates, including some very good friends, were all in the US. They said, "Just come. You don't have to worry about your stay." and we look after all that because, you know, we had limited money. Those days. used to get some $300, $500 and, uh, you know, you have to fend for yourself. It was difficult days, but, uh, and that's how 
this whole thing started. And then I started understand. I went to the U.S. I became uh, they what they have is um, the American Academy of Cerebral Palsy and Developmental Medicine. With little work which I did, they gave me a membership there, and that's from there where I made my contacts of uh, and some wonderful person like. Dr. Martha Denkler, who is uh, the professor emeritus in learning disability in Johns Hopkins. And then I met Charlene Butler, who was then the president. She was from Seattle. I did a, I did a lot of learning from Seattle. I met Dr. Michael Rothenberg, who was a child psychiatrist in Seattle. And they were so helpful and so wonderful. You know, they gave me, they, the, I remember when I was, when I went and I met them, they said, what do you want us to do? I said, see, I can't even afford journals. You know, those days there was, I said, can I have subscription to developmental medicines, pediatrics, child neurology? <laughs> they, Dr. Michael Rockenberg wrote to all the publishers and said a free copy has to be sent. And if any of them didn't have, he wrote to his colleagues, said, send her a copy of these journals to India. You know, can you believe them? some of them still send me? And that's how my learning point and everything I started. Now you, this is a speciality which requires a team. As I was broadening and making performers, and I said, I'm going to ask this question, I'm going to train them, or this, that, I started also to understand that everything from the West cannot be adapted here. You have, you're culturally a very different person from the West. And it was at that time, there was a WHO workshop and I was there and uh, uh, there was two people from Chennai. Was I? I still remember Professor Jay Chandran. He he was a clinical psychologist who did a program called Portage, you know, which was the early intervention program. And he came back to India, and we start. He got associated me with them and uh, Mrs. Krishna Swami. We started a parent mediated intervention programs in eighties putting it across and really it was called Upanayan. Upanayan in Sanskrit means lead on, which was a wonderful program. I used to take a train to Chennai every weekend, Friday night, come back on Sunday. My home support was wonderful. I'm so grateful to my parents, my mother and father, my father retired and they stayed with me. So my house, I had no responsibilities. And my children were so beautifully looked after because my father was an avid reader. My mother, mother was a homemaker better than me. So the kids used to, I, I still, my, my kids, if they want some food and thing, they'll ask my mother, not me. Me is only what should I do in life? And, you know, in some intellectual conversations and some books, maybe discuss something. I was not there for basic needs of giving them, you know, khana, pina and all that was done by my Mother. So much happened, so much happened. And it was just that the purity of intent that you had in making a difference was so, yeah. so pristine that things just fell in place. Just and fell in place. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. was meant for what kind of kids that you did you devise this program? So no, the, the I devised the program initially for intellectual disabilities. Then I learned about, uh, you know, the, you know, at that time in 90s started coming this autism. I didn't even know how to spell it when I passed MD pediatrics. You know, we used to call it some static chronic encephalopathy. Nobody knew what was happening. You know, this became another uh, 
my God, today it's it's almost like a silent epidemic. You know, one in 30 children, the U.S. is saying every, if I see 10 children in my clinic, seven of them are with some kind of features of autism spectrum disorder. This became a big issue. But, you know, you can't do all this by yourself. You know, I, I'm so grateful to a young psychologist called, she just passed her MSc at that time. Savita, she's still with me, by the way. She was looking for a job and she came. I said, listen, I want to do this. Whatever money we make, we'll share. But I don't know where we will go. But if you're in the journey with me, join me. So I think that girl was so beautiful and so wonderful. She came and joined me. You know. So now I had whatever I could devise. I could then have a colleague to implement it with the parents because I was still doing some amount of general practice because this doesn't bring you money, you know, and uh, I had to keep myself going. And uh, this was a part on, we used to, on a fixed day, two, three times a week, would sort of look into these kids in the afternoon. We'd spend with them understanding what is required. And Savita, who's today, I think one of the best behavioral specialists we have in the country, I feel, because she is so good with those kids. She's with me for the last almost 30 years. So we devised so many things together. I would learn something, come back and say, Savita, we have to do this. We have to do this. And she was in game with me. So, you know, I'm so thankful to her. Otherwise, maybe uh, it, it may not have been possible to do so much as I can. And, uh, and then... So that was a turning point. In pediatrics, I started then addressing pediatricians that this is a problem. And then slowly the Academy of Pediatrics also started. There was a group of us who got interested. We formed a small childhood disability group in all over the country. I would go for these conferences. Then we started addressing the general pediatrician. Today, we have a huge chapter for neurodevelopmental pediatrics and there's some young doctors who are taking it forward so beautifully. I'm so, I feel so good when I look at it that this is going to be a thriving speciality. And in the coming years, this behavioral medicine is going to stand against all your AI and G chat GPT and all can do many things. But I don't think it's going to help you to manage behavior. Which I think I tell you, I'm telling all my youngsters who are doing this speciality, you guys are lucky. You won't be out of jobs, so don't worry. You know, you'll have fun. <laughs> so and that's that how true, you know, because even for AI, it needs a prompt. You need to give the right prompt to Chat GPT yeah. to get your yeah. answer. Yeah, the prompt has to come from us. And yeah. my question is again taking you back, uh, doctor, to answer those parents who had children with challenges when they would meet you is what kind of uh, was instrumental in pushing you in the direction of developmental pediatrics. When you got into the space, not many people were there. So what kept you going forward? Was it that immediately things kept falling in place, Ashoka Fellowship, all that came? What kept you motivated to do something where you don't have a precedent to look at a road that has already been set. So in a way, pioneering work is yeah. not... You know, I, I don't know. Subconsciously, you know, uh, uh, my father used to say many things to us. He, used to, he said, just be second to none. We used to laugh at him. What the hell that mean, you know, second to none? I think he played on me that I'm going to develop a speciality for this country. So no matter what it takes me to do, what is going to be, I should be the first. After that, any number of people can date. I don't 
okay, maybe they do it better than me also. I don't. To start that first, I want to do this, you know. So I so I for, I started writing books. I started making a lot of address every conference in Indian Academy. I said, I'll only talk on these subjects. And many pediatricians started believing me a lot. But the practice itself, Rashmi, I want to tell you, as long as I was doing general practice and doing development, the, the competition was, I did not get so many referrals or people didn't allow me. So I, I, I have to give credit to my husband, late husband. He died young here. I came back. I was doing so well in general practice. I used the amount of money I earned in eighties. I'm not even doing it right now, you know. For them, so I came and told him. I said, you know, this is causing me a lot of this. Nobody is referring, you know, very rarely when they're so severely affected. When I can hardly do anything, you know, I'm just talking to the parents that we have to be kind and nice and empathetic. And beyond that, you know, how to keep them going. I said, I want to see young way to make a difference when they are capable of. So he told me something. He says, see, in life, you should do what you, he was a great person, but he said, you do what you want to do. You can live in a big gated community and have a whatever fancy car to drive by. You can also live comfortably and have a and pursue what you want to do in life. So you think, you know, and I think my children were also very simple, though they went to Malayaditi school, and but they were very grounded, I thought, you know. Today, both of them work in the developmental field, you know, in their own way, and which I feel very proud of because I think we're making a difference to people. And that's what life should be all about, in my opinion. So then I got this confidence. I said, I quit. I told him, I'm not going to practice general. So I would send back, even if the child had a cold and cough, I could have written, they said, doctor, write a prescription. No, I said, no. That's that doctor's job. He has had confidence and faith in me that I'll only do so much. And that paid a big dividend. I think my colleagues my, had a lot of faith in me. I will not take their patient away. I will not. And second principle, very strongly, I believe, I would not take A's child and give it to, because B, pediatrician is my friend, even though they're living in the vicinity of the child, very good in their job. I said, that's not my job. A send, I said, send back to A, you know, for, even if they, because they have faith in, why should I, who am I, you know, to the question, who am I is a big philosophical question. All of us have to answer even today. Who am I and what am I here for? Is a philosophy of life, which is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, so that built in a lot of goodwill for me. There were very, very wonderful colleagues of mine of my time who the minute they would see somebody, they would send them to me. So it gave me an opportunity to study them. And then I went back again. Every time I would go for, I never left for a long time. I never studied in the US, but I would go and get a program or see and could have the capability of understanding a lot of our own culture and adapting that program to our culture. And that I was, I mean, that was my USB, I think. Oh. That I never copied everything. I think our culture is different. How do I do this with our parents? So many techniques they use in the best successfully, I feel, is not good for India. We're not geared to be like that. And why not? Can, you, have, can you give an example, doctor? Like one example of some cultural difference between. I, I, I tell you when I now we talk about this early intervention. You know, the the uh, I mean, how you early, you know, in your own culture, every 
child rearing practices is an intervention. Then now today, let's tell you, the brain development talks about that the child is born only with, you know, it's a good brain, which is capable of learning, but hearing, vision, you know, they, it has smell and touch. So it, that is a major, and you know, and they talk about what's called attachment bonding offer. In our culture, you know, mother who delivers a baby in, is given off from everything to be with the kid for the first 40 days or 50 days. They, they don't even allow her to come inside because she, I think, just bonds with the baby. Breastfeed, sleeps, and it's an amazing thing. I said, why do we give this up? Now, for example, they put, you know, this, I don't know, whether they, they put a, a bangles, you know, red and black. and It's nothing but the child's visual stimulation. You put an anklet for a child. It moves his leg at three, four months. Ta, ta, ta. It's called the cause and effect. I told the West, what we know 5,000 years ago, you're calling it, uh, it's like taking a, this thing for turmeric, you know, patency. I said, we know all this. And all those songs we sing, and it's nothing but building social interaction with your child. So I would tell my parents, please do all these things with your kids, you know, for a... You know, they do this Anna Prasanam, you know, when the child is around, when it's ready to chew, they have a ceremony. And I'm sure, you know, where we start. What is the ceremony telling you now your child can eat solid food? It can chew. If the, the pair, they would be worried if the child doesn't eat something is wrong, it's not chewing. Amazingly, for now, what audio metries you're talking about? You know, they, 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 I remember in Tamil Nadu, we say, Sanja Dhamma. You know, the minute you sing, yeah. see the intonation pattern. We sing it in the same way. Sanjadamma, Sanjadu, Sanjakili. Everybody says it. The minute you say it, the child starts, you know, moving, saying, I know what you want me to do in that gestural vase. Now, I said, this is like an audiometer for you. In a village where you don't have hearing, if your child does this by saying, it can hear. But that's why it's following your so-called. So I did lots of these kind of practices with my parents using our child development strategies you know in the Vijay Dashmi they make you put a you know they make a child first write you know around two three it's a wonderful fine motor skills you know you're writing on a you know they would put rice or a different viragi or whatever you know they, they or a, you know, we don't use a slate we just write on that you know the child is ready to school copy they say yeah now he is ready or she's ready to go to school so I think I understood and brought in a lot of our child rearing practices into the system. So the parents could relate perhaps to what I was trying to say. I said, these are where it's ingrained. If a child doesn't do all this, something is wrong. Get it to understand. And then came assessments. And, you know, I learned a lot from the West, which I, I, I must say even today and uh, and the advanced child psychiatry and you know all, all that is different ball game but i'm just talking about how i got into this practice then i had more and more uh, people believing in me and they found it easier you see when you identify uh, with something which is totally new to you then you say okay let me practice i'm not doing it. i said granny also do it father also do it and you know be born with the kid and you know practice, play with them and you know so which i think uh, was uh, Good. I also find found very difficult in our culture is uh, by nature we are very authoritarian. We want 
follow what the older people say. You do this. You we don't. The currently uh, one of the reason why our mental health I think is in in shambles because a lot of them have they say highest country mental disorders is because we are not allowing our children to express their emotions when they are young. We just, you know, brush it aside and say, no, do that. I say, you know, we don't allow them. No, that's not the way. You know, we are very authoritarian. Do this, don't do this, come here, sit here. That we have to do away with. We have to change these practices. It's happening slowly, but it's, uh, so there are faults also in our system. I mean, I mean, the, this thing is, you know, it was so geared towards what the older people say, that you have to do what they, you cannot rebel <laughs> elder. Yeah. This was also very difficult for me, you know. So slowly I told the parents, it's okay. Because they see even today the autism mothers, many young mothers will say by one and a half, two years, I know something is wrong with my child. It's not making look at me, it's not speaking. But the older elders in my house said nothing is running around beautifully. Your child is looking well. You just want to make a fuss, wait and watch. This wait and watch is a very bad thing. Because as I told you, we have to do everything in the first thousand days. So there are plus points and negative points. I think uh, the plus point is what I used it. Negative point is what I'm working with. So doctor, you started these centers years ago in the 90s and you started uh, them going. At that time, the awareness may have been way less than what it is today. So when you started this, are there some initial stories that you have or anecdotes which made you or motivated you to believe that you are in the right direction? No, the, the fact that, the see, if I wasn't, I wouldn't grow. See, the, I, when I started it, the, the age of, ref, I tell you my motivation, age of referral by pediatrician used to be five years and six years. Very little I could do for the children. You know, but today I have some pediatricians who over nine months will say, go to, in, in Bangalore, they'll say something is wrong with your child. Go just go and see Dr. Nandini. You know, I mean, they would say that, they say that your child, see, the, I mean, what is the beautiful thing? Convincing the parents, you know, from that age for them to even, I think my colleagues are also making a big difference. They are, they are also working on it. But it would be nice. I still have only, I feel very sad that all pediatricians are not monitoring the milestones or the parents are also not paying attention to this. See, the only milestones they are very concerned about, which is most useless milestone is a gross motor. I mean, useless in the sense, it doesn't help you to learn. Like sitting, standing, walking, because it's visible to them. If a child doesn't walk by one and a half years, they go running to the pediatrician. But what is the most important milestone to monitor is the social milestone. Child who doesn't make an eye contact, doesn't look, at, give you a back and forth smile, doesn't have a, a you know, share a joy with you and say, Daddy, Baba, look, you know, Mama, or point to a thing. See, these are crucial for learning. They wanted them to, see, academics has got so much importance in our country. That is the, if a child is good in school, means he's good in everything else. Not so. Today, I have parents, I mean, I sorry if I, because I talk, I had other day one 17-year-old child with autism. The parents came to me, all the way from pretty far off. As he says, my child is doing excellent in school. But doctor, he doesn't go out of the house. He doesn't have a single friend. All that time he's known. How do I do, solve this? See, it is the socialization which should be addressed in these children, which is not understood so well. 
by the and that's the greatest problem it's a social they don't monitor social milestones they don't monitor communication milestones if you don't monitor these two you can't pick up children with autism and all early so this is i i still i mean would want i wish pediatricians would monitor social and communication milestones you know rather than just the physical alone or when the parents when parents come with a problem, we should give utmost importance because when they notice itself means something must be grossly wrong or they're comparing it to another child they have or seen in some way and they're saying child something is not doing well. I wish this is my request actually if you can project it to all the pediatricians across the country that please monitor social communication milestones right from birth and to do this I even developed an app it's, you know, I mean, that's another story. You have to come to you to say that how people make a difference in your life when you're working, as you said, as I mean, we were working in these centers. Uh, I, I told you again and again, I can't do this alone. Like how Savita came into my life. There's another wonderful lady called who runs the parent mediated center in Sahakar Nagar, which we have, which is one of the best parent mediated centers in this country, is by another very good educationist who came with a child with a special need to me, it was so severely affected. I told her, I don't think I can do anything. Like a four-year-old child came, almost she carried him like this in two arms, you know. So she said, no, but even then, this is the last place I've come. You have to do something. This is my son. So I said, okay. Then I called my therapist. I said, at least let's give a stable breathing to this child. He was not even able to breathe. You know, this child bloomed to an extent I would say he would start recognizing. If you say, Dr. Nandini is coming, she'll say, Mother will say, he'll give me a smile. Then she came one day to me and said, Doctor, I have a small desire. I said, what is it? Can I do? She says, I know my child can never go to a school. Can never. But is it possible that I am an MSc, MED, she had such a lot of qualification. You can use me to start something which you can. I said, amazing. What are you wasting your time? I said, do a course on autism with me. And she started the center in Saka Naga. It's called Sangamitra, Early Intervention Center, with just two children. And she said, I will take my son there. I'll take her help who look after it, not interfere with my work. But when the child has, they have lunch together, I want my child to be with the other children. What a beautiful, brilliant way. You know? And that's how now that center is got every program on that earth you know i mean i'll send you an initiative their music therapy the art therapy their toilet training the sexual development program their early intervention they've just for severely and moderately retarded started they've started a pre-vocational training they have an open school curriculum when the school where children can't go to so they have a sibling you know we are also aware siblings of another child a normal neurotypical sibling also feels so lost because the parents, they feel they don't have enough attention. They get into So we have every program now, A to Z. It was all because of my colleagues also who work with me, you know. My admins who, who handle everything, Saraswati and Vajanti, you know, they are there for the, I mean, it's like a, it's a teamwork, I should say. It's not you alone. I'm not alone in this. And these people are as dedicated, or I would say even more than me, to bring about this change in these children. I feel a good part that I initiate a lot of things and I work with them, I, I study them and <clears throat> help them, but they also implement it. 
Now, uh, doctor, these uh, centers for child development and disabilities that you have, how many centers do you have in Bangalore and where are they? I have a center for child development and disabilities is greatly supported by my family trust. That's why we could go. It's a very cost-effective center. It's called a Sukhumvit Trust, which is, uh, again, started by my sister and my brother-in-law, who initially gave a lot of support to, for, you know, to, otherwise it would have been difficult. As I told you, in days, uh, for, because children could hardly pay. Even the center, even today, does not refuse. People who pay, pay for it. It's, it stands alone. It was uh, a not-for-profit organization. I I don't believe in free services and charity too. Nobody values that like me. If those who can pay, pay the full amount of money for it. Those who can't, we give a lot of concession and see that nobody goes without treatment. That's our philosophy here. And um, so Center for Child Development and Disabilities, a unit of this. So we have two centers for that. And then <clears throat> Sangamitra is a standalone unit, which I started with this lady. It's a parent-mediated center. The parents run that center. That shift change which has come from parents being locked inside their houses, not coming out. Today, take initiative to run a center is, I think, I feel few of my lifetime achievements. Yeah. And then around 2017, another wonderful gentleman came into my life called Karthik Krishnamurti who was a med lab. He's an IT guy from, uh, I don't know how he walked into my clinic one day. And then I just told him that I think this field requires a lot of very little knowledge and needs an IT support. And uh, I think we should take it across. And that's where he he said, yes, doctor. You know, I, I didn't know whether, then I wrote him, are you serious? He said, see, I can never pay for this software. And you know, it's so expensive to develop any program in the IT sector, you know, funders. I don't have any funders. And I said, I have no money, but I'll give you my domain knowledge, which I have plenty. You know, He just took it. He says, okay, let's form a limited liability partnership company. You're the domain expert. I'll be the IT expert. I think he has spent a lot more money than I have done. Youngster. And we have set up this thoughtsguide.com. I tell you the amount of program today, you know, we have developed a home mediated program children with autism sitting across the world. I, I'm telling you, I have children from France to Germany to UK, Canada, Abu Dhabi. Many of them did home mediated program, you know, with us. We have online support for all those people. Then we, we have uh, had a free track and act as an app, which we have, where parents have to just enter. It's a free app. Enter the name, the date of birth, that is the full term, expected date of birth. It will answer questions where you can monitor milestones, you know, by answering yes or no. It gives you an idea whether your child is in the right direction or not. And available in Tamil, Kannada, Hindi and English. I have another app called Dolphin. Dolphin is an acronym for developing opportunities for parent help, infant nurture. That the first thousand days from the day the child is born, every day one activity will come to the phone to develop a child, giving them ideas on sensory stimulation, sleep, nutrition, brain development, getting to know if the child, you know, monitoring milestones. They just pay 500, 600 rupees. Again, available in Tamil, Kannada, Hindi and English. We are, so we are now developing another program for three to seven years old children who are not learning, 
and motoric running around. They cannot be diagnosed as attention deficit, cannot call them learning problem, but yet they have some problem. So can we develop those skills? SMILES is an acronym for so social, motor planning, intelligence, emotions, and sensory, you know. So we give activities, the parents do it. You know, it's again, very cost-effective uh, way of giving parents to say, you, these are what you have to develop. If you and if your child is not got a diagnosis, don't wait for it. Start. So Starts Guide has taken the program to all over the world. You know, so we that again, it's if Karthik has not come into my life, I couldn't have done that. Because even today we have a limit. We are still the angel funders. It's both of us. It doesn't make a single penny, you know, in the sense it's the programs are so kind of he says your programs are so big it costs a lot of money so whatever money we make out of scope parents have to pay for it you know some program it just goes into development of programs till today you know for a uh, so but i'm happy that we are able to uh, realize and give help to so many people so many parents you know which is the joy with us so that's how they so then we have and then uh, we also have a kind of a Small therapy center in Indranagar. Trots guide for everybody else. And uh, the, the, there are these three, four centers in Bangalore. And uh, when it comes to children in the autism spectrum, how old are the kids who come to you? Yeah. Their youngest is from five months. Oldest is we only work till 15 years. So even if they come in by the time the child is 11 or 12, you can still make a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a program for them. And I think every child must get the opportunity to live his or her best in her capability. Even if they're severely affected, they still have some joy left in them. They have some capabilities left in them. And I think we as human beings should nurture that for that child, whatever it may be, you know, however small it may be. And they may have millions of behavioral issues which you can handle. Behavioral issues come in because you have not given them, them the opportunity. The minute you give me an opportunity, why will I have behavior problems? At whatever level. So our job, which we do wonderfully in our centers, I would say, is to identify the base level which they are functioning, analyze the behavior, give them an appropriate program, tell the parents, you cannot be realistic in your expectations. Don't compare. You have another sibling who's good, give, let that child do your fulfill. But this child needs so much, you know, for, and this is what they can do, you know, for, a, and it's not their fault. I said, they didn't come asking for it. I always tell them, did the child come asking that I, no, every child wants to go to school, every child wants to play, every, but it's unfortunate. Neither you or they are responsible for this. Having understood this, let's do the best and bring joy in. We also have a wonderful program for well-being of parents. The next person in my life was coming who did was a young developmental pediatrician called Kirtika Rajaraman who did a fellowship with me. Today is my colleague, amazing person. She has brought so much to the table of uh, taking all my programs forward, you know. Parent well-being program I want to talk about. Understand that when we, the parent who has a child, you know, your best thing which you're looking for in your life is your child, your, you know, you have all aspirations, goals, you want to dress them up, you want them to send best of school, then everything gets shattered when they have a child with neurodiversity. Now, the parents undergo a lot of trauma themselves. 
whether with anger, disappointments, you know, to the they undergo various stages of dismissal, you know, till they come to acceptance and they go itself is a long process for them. And rightly, maybe even when they come, when we work as what we say as a co-regulator, because uh, I feel some of the best programs are shown me very good results is when the parents and the caregivers and their extended family gets involved in the therapy. You see, then the child has much beyond expectations of improvement happens because of the acceptance of these children and the parents also have learned how to adapt and have a realistic expectations. Now, for that, the parents have to come as a co-regulator with that kind of a mindset. Now, this is also very difficult because constantly our inner voice or the parents' thoughts is always telling me that, oh, my child is not going to do anything, he's not going to school, he's going to be useless. You know, This negative thoughts doesn't make you a good co-regulator. So we have a very nice parent-mediated program. All my programs are evidence-based programs. What we mean by evidence-based is in medical, when we head these kinds of programs, we have to show that it makes a difference. It's based on the theory of acceptance commitment theory. ACT is a very big psychological theory. If only when I accept, then can I bring about some flexibility in my understanding of my intelligence that I want to work with these children in a way. So for that, and the, we tell the parents to have extreme degree of compassion for your own self. Because if you're not happy, what happiness can you bring in anyone else's life? That's my tagline, huh? So, and I tell this to parents, you need to enjoy yourself. So what? This is one catastrophe. But then you have a husband, you have other children, your family, your friends. You see, you're neglecting all of them. For what joy? So this, this came as a wonderful program. Today, the 50 mothers who come every day at Sangamitra, you know, I can see this change in them. Today, we want to do a potluck lunch. You know, it gives me some joy. Today, they are very good they you know they work with the children they're happy they're home so the parent wellness is a very important component of any of the program which we do with these children because if they cannot bring in you know like we say from the heart do it you may do it superficially but that's not going to help so this again is a very important component of the program which we run is parent wellness program and uh, now the parents themselves have formed a group called Maitri many of them some of them are psychologists they're, they're taking over the program and running it online you know which is so the multiplication is when the society gets involved in, and I'm trying my best to involve the society go beyond uh, I worked with the doctors now we are working with the parents and uh, the know. right plugins have come in at the right time yeah, and, yeah. so that's yeah. i don't know i think it just happened yeah, yeah. maybe destiny we don't know <laughs> but then uh, when the pandemic struck healthcare was worst hit and yeah. children especially in the autism spectrum were <clears throat> worst hit because they did not have the interaction that they normally have i know see this is you know they this is what should i say uh, it's at one side that is true that they can go out. But the second part of it is in my parent, the parents were available to the children all the time. You know, they, it was eye-opener that many parents realized how they didn't know. And I tell you, we ran, because of the Sangamitra 
kind of because we had 50 parents coming in every day. Those 50 parents had online sessions, you know, and they could even relate and tell the others that it's important. You see, they, the the what we blame the pandemic, even parents today below two years, you know, three years, they say, oh, my child, it was only two years old before pandemic. You couldn't go out to play and go to school. I said below two years, no child goes to school or goes out to play. You had a beautiful chance to interact. Instead of doing that, you put this child in front of a mobile, which is another thing. By the time the child is six months old, for eating, the child needs a mobile. For listening to rhyme, the child needs a mobile. For seeing cartoon, I, you know, I said this is something you're taking away full wiring from the social sector. Where was a need? You know, you could have, you know, tried to play with your kids. And parent, you know. Parents don't know how to play with their children. This is another thing. Having all these child rearing, which is all lost these days. See, I think the olden days, I always say joint family, no matter what the adults may have differences and they would have fought. I mean, they may not. But the children had a good time because they, some aunt, uncle, they had this social connect with them. You know, they could, uh, what attachment with them, that bonding with them, you know, by which they survived all their traumas of, uh, that's what, you know, they said the ruptured relationship, even if you have the, with your caregivers, if you have somebody in your life who supports that, could be a teacher, could be a stranger, could be a neighbor, you know, you can survive this trauma often. That in the nuclear families and parents, you know, many of these people leaving their town and their, another town, they don't have that kind of support system has played a lot of, you know, I mean, it has got its own disadvantages, particularly for children where they're dependent on the caregivers to really give them that kind of support. And when they are not able to do it, then the children don't get such a good deal in their life. So this is uh, in the pandemic. It was a realization for me that parents don't know how to interact with the kids. They, they, they've lost their childhood in them. They don't, I'd say, I, I said playing with children requires a lot of hoo-ha. You say, oh my God, that's so exciting. Come on, let's, they, they say, how to do all this? <laughs> so, so, I said, no, no, no. You have a hype. You have to be animated. You have to bring the joy. You know, children are like that. Become a cartoon they are seeing. I said, you sing the rice. Why are you putting that rhyme for them? You, you know, it, takes them time to change you know that so this was i feel the worst part of the pandemic then the pandemic alone but particularly for young children below three to five years they could have done a great job parents could have read with them they could have played with them they could have they had a great opportunity to interact with the older children maybe that uh, they were affected and of course it was affected even young children were affected but we could have compensated a lot if we if only we really thought about it and uh, uh, unfortunately none of us had this experience to guide them also they come on do this this is you know for it came as a root shock for us to realize that the parents were also very ill-equipped of dealing with the children I always tell them, but you all Google now for everything, you know, which is the best restaurant in town, where is the best sale going on. I I really make fun of my parents. I said, you could have Googled a little bit how to play with one two-year-old, three-year-old, it would given you 101 activities. <laughs> Honestly, anything that Google tells you. But I said, you don't Google for milestones. You don't Google for what? I said, why? Listen, I don't know. You know, I mean, they it's not in their mind. You know, what's what's not in your mind is not. So now I keep consciously telling them, I said, ask about uh, 
you know, child development. But this is a need of our, our Rashmi. We need to bring a good child development below three years. 90% of your brain develops. You develop your, you know, neuroplasticity, not that even in your attachment, bonding, the way you, the parenting in the early years reflects what we are when we grow up. You know, what we bring to the table as parents. In case you have not done this, I always say change a little bit. Otherwise, you the we have to give a lot of importance to the first three years of life. You know, and that includes uh, the a wellness of uh, in the last trimester of pregnancy is when the brain develops very rapidly and a lot of emotional development starts. You know, in scientifically, and the mother who has a very stressful pregnancy at that time lands up with children with problematic behavior, premature babies, and a whole lot of things. So are we treating our young mothers, our mothers with lots of fun activity, you know, happiness in the last trimester? I always hear this, you know, mother-in-law's trauma, you know, a lot of punitive husbands, and all this is affecting the children, you know, which are going to be born particularly the boys more than the girls and it's such a male centered uh, boy you know uh, kind of uh, what should i say culture we have that boys are and i say you're not bringing in good boys i said give for that you have to look up the mother well so that they grow up to be a wonderful human being so these are some you know a lot of scientific evidences now coming up with all this and how to translate this into a culture and tell the people that we good to this mother because poverty itself is one thing which ruins many things you know for them top of this this kind of uh, treatment to the women is we are going to have lots of children in that kind of sector who are going to be affected and uh, that's really a lot of it and it's not good for our country yeah that's that's like solid food for thought and as we reach the end of uh, the conversation doctor you spoke about the pandemic what could have been done but personally for you what were your reflections from the pandemic because oh my reflection you know <clears throat> i must tell you during pandemic i used it for the best time i got both my hip replacement done you know <laughs> I got one replacement with a great difficulty. I said, oh God, you know, I said, everyone was telling me what after the sec between the first and second pandemic, it takes about six months to recover from them. You know, yeah. I said, long. So my wonderful orthopedic surgeon said, see, you know, the, I'll get you on hospital. I definitely not give you COVID. Hospital is empty. And you know, why don't you, your second hip also needs it, you know, whether up two years, why did you get first? I told him, no, no, no. I, then he said, he said, by the time you finish, your COVID will be over, you'll be ready for work. So that was amazing. So I spent my time. Now, during that pain and all what I did, I developed a smiles program with my colleagues. Oh. We, we developed that, you know, it's a huge program, which is just getting loaded now. We have done the testing. And, and all yeah. available on the app, is it? Yes, the, the app is, no, it's now, it's all ready, but we are, you know, we do a lot of testing, you know, in the app. Yeah. That's yeah. going on for the last one year, you know, if everything is all right. I think my 
another month or two, it should be available for uh, the smile. So smiles with my colleagues and all of us worked, you know, it's a huge, you know, putting almost like so many activities and designing it and getting a, a picture drawn for it from an artist. It was a huge, it's a huge program, you know. So this we worked something that. that any child, uh, parent who has access Anybody, to any child, child between ages of three to eight. Oh. Build, don't build academics, we'll build social skills, both build motor planning, and also understand every child has something, maybe some tendency he's good at. If you discover that during this age, you know, that oh, he's, more, he's, he's playing this motor planning, is good. maybe he's going to be a good sportsman, maybe he's going to be a good musician, it could be a, you know, I'm, I always tell parents, keep this going for them along with academics. Find something that the child enjoys, and of course, many children want to do things they're not, but and they're good at, you know, push them. And that's that's uh, it's uh, this can be used by any kid, but the child who has even mild problem is going to help them even better. So that uh, so that's what I did during the pandemic. So it took care of my pain also and made my it was uh, pandemic was a blessing for me because I didn't have to go to clinic and I was I'm not surprised with somebody so positive, only you can see the bright side of me with the pandemic. <laughs> two <laughs> AP placements done, smiles program developed. What more do I want, Rashmi? I thought. Amazing thank you, thank you. And uh, as we reach the conclusion, three life lessons, Dr. Nandri, that you would like to leave us. Enjoy every day as it comes. I always tell everybody, the past is so fast, you know. The second which has gone has come, it become past. So we dwell a lot on our past, you know. And that we dwell on doing and ruining our health. I said, it's not going to bring us joy because that time is never going to come back. Forget it. Wherever we are today, let's work today for the future tomorrow. Don't think of the parent always, will he pass high school? Will he go to I said, I don't know. Why are we worried about that? We'll take when it comes. Today you lay foundation for that is one thing, uh, which I feel uh, very positive about. And I feel it's always nice the joy of giving and I and I feel the joy of gratitude to my colleagues and my friends who kept me and gave me the, you know they would Xerox books and send it you know courier to me from the US all my I have lots of friends friends galore I'm going from my schoolmates to my college mates to my other friends I have lots of friends who have stood by me and I'm so thankful to them you know so I think in life we should cultivate relationships and my two daughters, who are amazing themselves, both of them, one, of course, is, is living in Australia and she herself has got her own uh, recognition. And Anuradha Munko, she works with the gender issues, in which the younger one is another lawyer here. And uh, as I said, uh, more of a lawyer for the underdogs and poor people than she had. But they, they, they're very happy, you know, they, and that's, I think, is the greatest gift I have. And I said, Wish well for your children. Don't make them do what you have to do and uh, share something of yours with others. I think that gives a great joy. I'm very happy at my age of 74 now and I still feel I have a lot of things to do. The living life to the full, Absolutely. having pure intention, joy and gratitude. Amazing way to live your life, Dr. Nandini Mundur. Such an honor having you on you and I with Rashmi Shetty. All Thank you, Rashmi. And I remember you very vividly. Thank you for remembering me, you know, for... Uh... Honor always, doctor. You've always inspired me. And I love the ease with which you do what you do. 
And I think that's the secret of uh, loving what you are blessed with. So, yeah, thank you. Thank God you so much. You. Thank you. With that, we come to the end of this weekly quest of You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Do let us know if you know people who make the world beautiful. Write in to rashmi.thethirdeye at gmail.com That is R-A-S-H-M-I dot T-H-E-T-H-I-R-D-E-Y-E at gmail.com Come, let's explore this amazing world together, both you and I.